TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. You no doubt have heard about the scandal, celebrities and others uh, cheating to get their kids into college, either rigging their test scores or paying to get them onto a sports team for a sport they didn't even play. Well, St. Louis-based Varsity Tutors is going to try to make a difference in the wake of that, try to shift the karma in the other direction. That's one of the topics we're going to get into on this edition of the show. Michael Calhoun with you. My usual co-host, Travis Sheridan, is away traveling in his role as head of the Venture Cafe Global Institute. So we'll hear from him again next week. Let's get right into it. So this is one of the stories I've covered in the newsroom. Varsity Tutors, based in Clayton, trying to make test prep for college more accessible. And I talked with Varsity Tutors founder and CEO, Chuck Cohn. Varsity Tutors is a live learning platform that facilitates live instruction and tutoring in more than 2,500 different subjects. So I started the company about 12 and a half years ago at Washington University in St. Louis, my junior year in college, based on my own personal experiences with tutoring. I'd had some remarkably positive experiences, some frustrating experiences, and I felt like there was a better way to evolve the offering and help students get the live instruction they needed to succeed in school. So over the course of the last 12 and a half years, we've built a live online learning platform that really enhances the experience in ways that just weren't possible offline. And there's more than 40,000 instructors on the platform who facilitate live instruction in more than 2,500 different subjects. And talk about the growth of this company in the St. Louis area. Why in uh, St. Louis? And what has uh, what resources, I guess, has the region brought to bear to help you to grow? Have you taken advantage of any of the accelerator programs or investment funds or any of that? So I actually started the, the business in an introduction to entrepreneurship course at Washington University in St. Louis. And so the University in particular and a number of the faculty were incredibly helpful along the journey, helping me initially map out a business plan, then get feedback, then connecting me with a variety of resources, including full-time hires and uh, legal advice, accounting advice, a whole host of other information that ultimately allowed me to better position the company for growth. So over that time, We went from a small on-campus service to a technology platform, and we have more than 150 full-time employees here in St. Louis in our Clayton headquarters. We have about 650 full-time nationally. We've raised about $110 million in capital to date, and we've helped more than 185,000 students. The offer of uh, the first ever free live online test prep, what prompted this? Is it the instances in the news of SAT and ACT 
test prep for some celebrities? That that was the fi- kind of final thing that made us feel like we needed to do more. But Varsity Tutors has always been about improving access to education. We're a mission-driven company. The We provide free online learning tools and hundreds of different subjects. We have more than 250,000 practice problems and diagnostic tests that millions of students across the country use. And our offering has been about connecting students with instructors who have exceptionally strong communication skills and deep subject knowledge at a very, very modest price point. And so the entire business model was predicated on providing this platform that improved access. And while the business has grown significantly and we feel like we're doing a lot of good in the world, we wanted to do more. And the college admissions cheating scandal was something that really caused a lot of internal discussions among our employees about what else is it that we can do. And so last year, we actually acquired a company with a lot of experience in live online instruction called Veritas Prep. They had more than 17 years of experience. And we now had this capability that allowed us to reach people in a new way that previously wasn't possible. And so I'm excited to announce we're launching a new initiative called Test Prep for All that is oriented around improving access to education, higher education, for people who otherwise might not have the resources for college test prep. So you can actually now get a live online course, 25 hours of live instruction, mobile apps, diagnostic tests, 650-page test prep book for free at varsitytutors.com slash free. And what's different about the virtual versus, you know, the typical method of meeting up in the library with somebody and going through in person like that? Just what's the difference with the experience? Well, first of all, we can actually pair you with an instructor who's best suited for your needs. So we can find the best person within 5,000 miles for you, as opposed to the person who happens to live a couple miles down the street. So you actually can get a better suited instructor with deeper expertise in your particular area. We can also enhance it with content and tools within the session to an extent that isn't possible in person. And the whole experience is recorded, so you can actually watch it playback later. So the vast majority of customers on the Varsity Tutors Live Learning platform actually prefer online now. Is there a a path here where maybe they take an initial course and then they, they sign up to pay for a suite of courses or they move on to the next level? Or, or how does this help uh, bolster the Varsity Tutors customer base? Well, um, you know, from our perspective, this is something that our employees cared deeply about. And we think that we're actually going to get uh, more passionate people, more engaged people, if we have a platform that gives back to an even greater extent in the community. And so there isn't a uh, direct revenue association with this. This is something. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. We're going to get into the Manure Challenge in this next segment. That's an actual startup competition that is run by the Yield Lab, one of our accelerator programs that's based around an industry that we've we've really got the corner on here in St. Louis. We're a hub for agriculture technology. The Yield Lab is an investment firm for those kinds of startups, and they're running this manure challenge. I talked about it with Managing Director Thad Simons. Yeah, so uh, the Yield Lab Institute, which is the, the nonprofit side of the Yield Lab group of funds, uh, got together with the World Wildlife Fund, uh, Cargill, uh, Mashoffs from around here and some others, to uh, put together this uh, this challenge, 
And the real concept behind it was uh, what are some of the major opportunities to uh, have more sustainable uh, agricultural production, in particular uh, when it comes to uh, livestock? One of the biggest challenges, as we know, is uh, with um, growing the dairy and the pigs and the things we're looking to to enjoy is there is a certain amount of manure that's produced, and traditionally there are ways to manage that on the farm. But uh, we also recognize that there's a lot of value there and a lot of value that can be brought from using those uh, products in, in a more sustainable way. So that uh, we had, to think, 63 applications. We're down to eight finalists. Uh, just met with them in Kansas City last week, and uh, that was kind of on the outskirts of the global agenda on sustainable livestock production that was in Manhattan, Kansas, at the FAO-UN um, conference on the same topic. And from our side of it, you know, from the Yield Lab funds, we invest in early-stage companies and all different kinds of technologies. And then from the nonprofit side, from the Institute, we're really looking to see how we can foster and encourage more innovation in all different parts of the agriculture and food value chain. So we've talked with one of those startups, and he described how this hits both. Uh, I mean, they they create water, they replenish the soil. In addition, they create energy. In addition to uh, to using a lot of material that would otherwise not be used, not have any kind of a, a useful application. What are some of the other companies who are in the finalists, who are in the final round, and who are uh, applying for this? Right. Well, we have a. As I said, there are actually. Um, eight of them. Uh, some of them are using things like uh, working with poultry um, waste, poultry manure, uh, to grow black soldier flies. That's, that's an alternative protein source that can then, which is done quite often with food waste. Uh, many different parts of the world are already growing the black soldier fly larva for that. It, the fly actually, or the larva, produces an organic quality fertilizer. And then the larva itself is used as a protein source uh, in, in livestock feed, poultry, fish. So it's a great way of taking what is a waste product and turning it into something that's actually more valuable. Another company is doing something similar with taking the uh, wastewater uh, and processing it using uh, red worms. So there will be a tank with the, the worms, and they will process the water, and then over time, the castings, as the worms get bigger, they shed their skin, much like a snake does. So that's kind of an interesting thing because then those castings can be processed again for um, having a higher value. And at the same time, we're using nature to really help us to uh, clean the, the water. So it's a, uh, and we have other companies that are using other kinds of filtration systems. Um, one company that's making flower pots out of manure. So that's a biodegradable way of uh, being able to put plants into pots and getting rid of all this plastic that goes into the, uh, into the environment. So it's, it's uh, quite interesting to see the diversity of the, of the companies that, that are going through the process. Uh, the next step of this will be companies all getting back together in Indianapolis in November at a sustainable agriculture conference that's there. 
and they'll have a chance to meet with their mentors. Each company has been assigned two mentors to work with them over the course of this year and into next year. And the next year, the final prize winner will be announced at a conference in San Francisco. That will be in, in March, where a lot of investors will be present. And so that's kind of the, the goal has been to come together a couple of times during the uh, course of the year, uh, have them more time with their mentors, and then bring them to a place where there is a, an active investor group to see if they can scale to their next level of funding. Now, from a perspective of grabbing people's attention, the Manure Challenge obviously is going to get people to uh, stop when they're scrolling through and go, wait, wait, what is this about? i got to learn more about this. But uh, why, from a practical perspective, why take a look at Manure and, uh, and create this challenge based on that? Well, it's all about trying to reduce the environmental impact that farming livestock production has and how we can actually bring more value to farmers. So that's really what they sometimes call the circular economy, circular net zero, uh, different ways of expressing the environmental impact of it. But if we can actually capture this manure and bring it to a higher value than simply spreading it on the ground, and in many places spreading it is no longer an option because the soil and the watershed cannot take the intensity of uh, the amount of manure that's produced. So the farmers need to find other solutions and they use solutions like traditionally maybe a covered lagoon or might be um, a biodigester producing methane gas. The gas then will be used on the farm. But what we've seen here in these companies is actually to be able to do it and bring even a higher value from what is being produced today. Uh, and, and today is more a problem. And so in the future, uh, livestock production can perhaps even with the company you talk to. Uh, I'm sure they told you that uh, they can take that and turn it into a clean coal. And that's kind of impressive because now we have zero carbon. We're taking carbon into the animal and then we're recovering the carbon. And then that goes into being gasified. But Or if it goes into building products, it's actually sequestered. So now we start seeing that really uh, by using some of these technologies, a tremendous amount of value can be captured and a lot of uh, improvement in the environmental nature of the farming operation. And Thad, zooming out on this topic and just talking agriculture and ag tech in St. Louis in general, the Yield Lab, what you've done to reach out uh, and create this uh, ecosystem in St. Louis and also reach out, you know, Ireland, these other countries that you've gone to and, and created nodes for the agriculture or for the accelerator program in those places. Talk about the Yield Lab and, and about this industry in St. Louis and, and what you've done in terms of creating this ecosystem. Well, so I think most people now have been hearing about ag tech or agri-tech or agri-food tech uh, for the past few years. But five years ago when we started, um, it really wasn't too much of a thing. Uh, there was quite a lot of investment in the biotech. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Now one of the companies that is involved in the manure challenge that we've been talking about, Dan Strackland, is the founder and CEO of SoMax Bioenergy. So I became involved with the manure challenge um, through my existing business, which is a uh, sanitation business. Uh, we haul actually septage, and in that I looked at, you know, the amount of, no pun intended, waste in the waste industry, 
and realized that a lot of these resources that we were carrying had value. And so we helped to uh, recycle those, and we started off on a mission. It's been five years. Uh, so in five years, we did a lot of research and development with Villanova University at the master level. It's their School of Sustainable Engineering, where we had uh, mechanical, chemical, and environmental engineers look at these issues. And we developed a uh, platform, the Elemental Recycling Platform, which is a suite of technologies that takes any biological material and converts it into its elemental components, so carbon, uh, oxygen, hydrogen, phosphorus, uh, and nitrogen. We're able to separate those out, and then we can repurpose all of those uh, attributes or elements. So where are you at the, uh, are you still trying to come up with an MVP, a minimum viable product, and come up with, uh, you know, something to show investors, or are you getting into getting this out into the marketplace and widespread use? Where in the timeline, I guess, of this are you right now? So we're actually developing our our minimum viable product right now. We are uh, under the design and build phase to implement our technology at a wastewater treatment plant uh, in Pennsylvania. So that is under... uh, construction right now and we should be up and running in q1 of 2020 this will be the first implementation of this technology uh in the u.s um and actually in the western hemisphere both in the uh, north america and south america wow and then just to put this into context uh, the amount of food waste and and everything that we use right now or that we wind up with i mean talk about what we what we have to work with and that we're not using right now Oh, yeah. So we have in, um, in urban environments, we have 2.8 billion tons of organic matter uh, that's generated in cities. Uh, and that's a mix of food waste, biosolids, um, and other yard waste that's going unused. That's uh, typically ending up in a landfill. I think 85% of it ends up in a landfill, which is really just a waste of resources. So what we try to do at SOMAX is take and and create circular opportunities with that. And we're looking at both the beginning and the end of the food supply. So when you think about the beginning, obviously you're looking at manures and you're looking at agricultural uh, residues. And at the end, you're thinking about food waste. You're thinking about biosolids and how you bring those two ends of that loop together to make a circle. It's really an infinite supply. When you look up uh, the biomass generated on an annual basis worldwide, you're talking trillions of tons, 4.2 trillion tons. So it's a virtually inexhaustible supply of materials uh, that currently isn't being utilized to its best extent. Uh, here in, here in uh, Philadelphia, which is in the metro region where we're in, we look at uh, 1.7 million tons of food waste every year that ends up in landfills. So we're trying to capture that market and take those resources and actually return some of those vital nutrients, phosphorus, nitrogen, back into the, the farmland of America. So this is not even just about uh, reducing waste and about finding a greener way to create energy. You're also replenishing the soil. Yes, yes. So we can replenish soils. We can create renewable energy uh, and actually create water. So we work firmly in the food, water, energy nexus. That's our focal point. Um, out of our process, we actually create water um, through the cleaving of bonds of carbohydrates. We separate those off and do hydrogen and oxygen. So we actually do create new water uh, in this process. And so we're talking with Dan Spracklin, the CEO and founder of SOMAX Bioenergy. You mentioned that you're in Philadelphia, but 
Uh, you are receiving this investment from the Yield Lab, a St. Louis-based accelerator program, and this manure challenge coming from the St. Louis Yield Lab Institute. And so how did you get involved with Yield Lab? How did you find out about them? And what were your impressions of the ag tech scene in the St. Louis area? So we were actually uh, recommended to this by a, an investor. They said, to go and look at this option with the, the Yield Lab. And we've always had three pillars to our approach or verticals that we'd like to bring our technology to. Um, you know, the urban uh, biosolids and municipal wastewater treatment, uh, the food waste and addressing those tackles, and also manures. When you look at the amount of uh, manures that are located on, on farms and as we're concentrating farms, this is a, a, a critical issue uh, that we've got to address. And so we applied uh, to the manure challenge. And then looking at St. Louis specifically, you have a lot of agriculture and you actually have a lot of um, traditional coal-fired power plants in the area. And one of our byproducts is a high, solid fuel hydrocarbon uh, called hydrochar. That hydrochar essentially is clean coal. It can be combusted in a coal-fired power plant with zero net uh, carbon emissions because it's biological in nature. Um, so it's a transition to a fossil fuel that can help augment and eliminate some of those greenhouse gas emissions. And Dan, as you take a look at what comes next when uh, you, you've gone into the Yield Lab agriculture, but it also seems like this might cross over into another accelerator program in the St. Louis area, uh, the Ameren Accelerator by uh, the Fortune 500 electric utility that's based here. Is that something you've looked at? Or uh, it seems like you, you cross over into multiple industries here from energy to agriculture. Yeah, we uh, do play a little bit in the energy industry. For us, it's really low-hanging fruit, though, because there's always a demand for energy. But we can actually generate these hydrochar, uh, which is the carbon aspect, into a solid product and into other products, which at that point becomes a carbon sink. Um, so we have not really focused on the energy sector, per se, because the energy for us, again, is our initial minimum viable product. There's always a demand. But we're actually looking at making advanced materials out of this stuff, um, activated carbons for water and gas filtration, uh, carbon nanosheets that actually can be layered in, uh, on top of each other in a solution to create a supercapacitor, which is 24 times more efficient than a lithium-ion battery. So we're at energy storage. And when we take that carbon out of the atmosphere and out of the, uh, the current environment in the current carbon cycle, we sequester that carbon. Uh, for long-term use. And it can be in things like concrete as well. So we play a lot of different things. We're not focused solely on energy production. Uh, we're just looking at the me mechanisms that we can take and address these environmental challenges. Dan Spracklin, the CEO and founder of SOMAX Bioenergy. Where can people go to get more information? They can go to uh, our website, which is SOMAXBioenergy.com. All right. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Coming up next, we'll talk about WeWork on KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Michael Calhoun with you. Travis Sheridan is away this week, and WeWork is continuing to work toward their IPO. Uh, WeWork is a company that's involved in the new co-working space, which is for folks who don't have a, have a regular office. We'll hear all about exactly what this industry entails in just a moment, but WeWork is kind of the big national behemoth in this industry. St. Louis is filled with local firms that really got in 
early and developed some loyal followings. And what is WeWork doing to try to take some of those customers away as they prepare to open their first location in St. Louis? My colleague in the newsroom, Alex Stegman, talked about it with Jason Deem of Nebula, which is on Cherokee Street. So let's talk about, first of all, for those of us who aren't really aware of what uh, co-working space provides and uh, you know how it's kind of really come to the forefront over the past, it seems to me, like decade, decade and a half or so. What kind of things does uh, Nebula provide and uh, other local companies like you? So one of the things that we try to do is lower the barrier to entry um, for small businesses to um, start something new. Um, it's kind of an important piece of the startup ecosystem in St. Louis, which is receiving national attention. Um, and we do that by bundling um, services like um, internet and conference rooms and printing. Um, and we also provide an, an atmosphere that's a really collaborative um, place to work. So, you know, if, if somebody needs um, an illustrator or an IT person or a lawyer, um, chances are somebody like that is, is inside the facility. And so um, we provide all different types of workspaces um, in, in one, one environment. Now, admittedly, I've only been inside uh, Nebula once, uh, and you're still down uh, by Cherokee, right? Yeah, we're at Cherokee and Jefferson. It kind of seemed like it was just uh, an open space where people could come in and just basically, like you explained, use your services, do their work. Um, how um, is there any kind of, uh, are there numbers that go along with this? Like how many people typically in a week use these services or, or is, is that something to keep track of? Well, we've got about 50 private offices and then we've got a number of dedicated desks where people can leave their stuff and then we've got um, a number of different workspace areas where people can drop in and use um, maybe a quieter area or conference rooms. Um, so we've got a lot of different types of options that we provide. Um, and we've got, you know, companies as big as 15 to 20 people, um, all the way down to one person companies, um, as well as nonprofits and um, social organizations. How many folks, uh, you included, and people like you who do what you do, how many of, or how long has this been going on on the local level here in St. Louis? How long has this been available? So Nebula was the first co-working space to open in St. Louis. We opened in 2010, um, and since then we've expanded um, to take on more space in the building we're in, and then we expanded to another um, another building on the same block. And obviously, since that time, a number of other co-working spaces have opened up in the St. Louis region. And it seems like now there is, uh, I, I don't know if uh, encroachment is the right word, but it kind of seems that way with the national company uh, WeWork uh, coming in and trying to set up a co-working space. Um, that has, it, it's ruffled some feathers, some people to rub the wrong way. Um, can, can you explain what has been happening since it's been announced that they are coming into the market at One Met Square? Well, a lot of our members are frustrated by what feels like um, sort of um, a lot of our members are frustrated by what, what, what feels like aggressive marketing tactics. Um, it's not like they're being emailed at their um, business email address. Somehow WeWork is um, kind of mining our members, um, probably from our website, finding their personal email addresses and asking them to move their office down to their new facility downtown. Um, 
it doesn't really feel like it's in the spirit of co-working or collaborative uh, um, business. It, it doesn't feel like, hey, work at whatever space is best for you. It feels like it feels like they're pretty um, desperate to fill their space. Um, and it's frustrating. Um, you know, CBS has reported that um, WeWork is losing nearly $5,200 per customer. So they're really undercutting the market. And um, what my concern is, is if, if WeWork damages the co-working market here in St. Louis and then goes bankrupt, like a number of analysts are predicting, um, where does that leave us? Um, St. Louis is really becoming known for its startup ecosystem. And um, I think this poses a threat to it. It seems like WeWork might be kind of akin to the, uh, I, I guess, the, the Walmarts of the world. And I, I don't know if Walmart is seen in the same uh, negative light that it was a couple of decades ago, but kind of the same type of thing. You guys cultivated this thing, and now the big guys are coming in to try to undercut the market. And uh, I, I guess really the only way that if they're in this much debt, it kind of seems like their tactic is to get as many customers as possible at a lower rate to kind of boost that. Am I, am I off base there or is that what it seems like? I mean, it's hard for me to speak to what their, their intentions are, but based on their actions, that's definitely what it seems like. Um, it, it seems like they're going after as many people as they can, no matter what the cost is. And they're obviously um, by their financial reporting, losing a considerable amount of money per customer. Um, and I think that the concern is, um, what does that look like when, you know, if, if they have problems, if the economy turns, um, or if they go out of business, um, and they've managed to negatively impact the startup ecosystem here in St. Louis, then where are we left? Do you get the idea that if people go to WeWork, it'll be hard to get them back, even if WeWork does go belly up? You know, I don't think we're um, at risk of losing customers um, to WeWork. Um, I, I think that, but I, but I, I, I want to help educate um, people who are looking for a co-working space um, in St. Louis on why it's important to so support local businesses. Um, these are the businesses that have chosen to invest in St. Louis. These are the business that, businesses that um, I think align with um, align with kind of the intentions of the startup ecosystem in St. Louis. And I think it's important that, that those businesses um, are supported um, by, by the other small businesses starting up in St. Louis. And it's, it's a very symbiotic reciprocal relationship where you, you know, a, a small business needs workspace. These workspaces need these small businesses to exist. And if we work disrupts that, um, we could have a real problem in St. Louis. What do you, and not to beleaguer the point or anything like that, but what, what do you, what do you think the big problem would be? Is it that there just wouldn't be anything like this in St. Louis anymore? I think we'd have a gap. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, that um, uh, some of these spaces could be put at risk if. Uh... Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.